if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We will be in John chapter 6, John chapter 6. Um, and as you are turning there, uh, just to let you know, we are in our second week of our summer series titled, Jesus Said, What? Um, it just sounds better that way, you know? I, I don't know why, it's just, and, and really when you start to look at what he's talking about, it's kind of like, what? And so... Um, I don't know how you put that on a screen to be able to say it that way, but um, anyways, that, that's, that's what our summer series is, and it'll run through uh, the remainder of the summer, uh, and we'll kick off our uh, fall series uh, when school starts back up. Uh, but the whole thought and premise around uh, this series is, have, have you ever been around someone? Have you ever maybe, maybe walked in late on a conversation or even been around someone and they say something, and then after they have said whatever it is that they've, they've said, you kind of walk away uh, like thinking, like, what? What did they just say? Uh, maybe you caught it on the tail end and you're not completely sure of context. Uh, maybe you're not completely sure of, of what was really going on in their heart, what they were thinking. Um, and, and so you, you caught something that they said and it was just uh, appeared to be a little off or appeared to be just kind of uh, maybe something weird that they commented on or something weird that they're, they're thinking. And, and so the reality of, of this series, it's, it's uh, one of those moments that, that what we're going to do is look at exactly that with Jesus. We're going to look at exactly uh, uh, what Jesus has said and some things that would appear to be uh, a little off, appear to be a little, a little weird, a little different, something that uh, maybe we wouldn't say in our culture or in our world, or we maybe would have a little bit more uh, tack about ourselves as we would say something. And so uh, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to press in and look at some of the hard sayings of Jesus, some of maybe the weird or difficult sayings that Jesus has said, and just really try to uh, home in and just zoom in and see what he really means. Really try to get the heart behind what he's talking about, what he's saying. Really try to pull out the context and figure out what in the world Jesus meant when he said what he said. And so last week we looked at what Jesus meant when he said that he didn't come to bring peace but division. And so he has the crowds gathered around and he asks that question, do you think that I came to bring peace? And, and I could just imagine in that moment if I was there, I'd be like, yeah, Jesus, you're the one we're waiting for. Yes, yes, give us peace. And his answer would be No. I didn't come to bring peace, but division, which seems like a very uh, difficult thing, right? Because isn't Jesus loving? Isn't Jesus gracious? Isn't Jesus all encumbering about everything and just welcoming everybody in? And the answer is yes, kind of. But Jesus is very set. Jesus is very serious about certain things. And so uh, what Jesus means by he didn't come to bring peace was simply the cross is anything but peace. What the cross does is divides. The cross puts it back on us to choose whether we will follow, submit, love with everything in us, the way of Jesus, or we will follow, submit, and love everything in us. Live the things that make us happy, the things that we enjoy. And so that is very divisive. The cross is very divisive as it confronts us in our sin. And so after being confronted in, uh, in our sin by way of the cross, we have to decide what we're going to do with it either follow Jesus or follow self. And so that is very divisive. And if you missed any of that talk last week, you can uh, check it out on our website or our Facebook page. And so whether some of the things that Jesus says are hard or they're confusing, I really just want us to unpack them. I want us to dive in and really look at what Jesus is saying and what Jesus uh, really means with what he says. So I'm going to uh, invite you this morning, if you'd join me as we pray, uh, and then we'll jump into our text. God, we, we need you. God, we need you every moment of every day. And so, Lord, as we look at your word this morning, we pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would help us to interpret, would help us to hear what you have to say God, that you would give our hearts ears to hear this morning 
the only voice we need to hear and it's yours. And so God, I pray that you would remove me from the equation, God, that you would just use me as a tool just to, to, to speak truth and God, that your Holy Spirit would convict, your Holy Spirit would draw, God, your Holy Spirit would rescue and ransom those that may not know you in this place this morning. God, rescue the lost. God, may we see the sweet story that we have in this scripture this morning and God, may it bring life. May it bring life more abundant. God, we pray for that so passionately and so hard this morning that you would just speak and move in this place. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we thank you for your word and for the hope that you have offered us. In your name we pray, amen. So John chapter six is where we're gonna be. John chapter six, and we'll jump in here in a few moments in verse 26. Uh, but what we have here is the day before, Jesus has just finished feeding uh, 5,000 people with uh, a few loaves and some fish. And so realistically, it was estimated more around 10 to 13,000 people Jesus feeds with these loaves of bread, five, and these two fish. Um, and, and so it says in the scriptures that 5,000 men, but uh, whenever they start to dig in and they start to look at all the people that would have gathered there, uh, they're saying it's more around uh, 10 to 13,000 people that Jesus would have just fed the previous day. And then what happens is after he feeds the 5,000, uh, that evening he sends his disciples away and as he sends them away, he sends them away in the only boat that's available. And so they get in the boat and they start to, to go away. So what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to him, he slips off, he prays and then he walks on the water to his disciples. And so the crowd had seen him send his disciples away in the only boat available. And so what we see the next day is when they find Jesus in Capernaum, they knew he could have only gotten there miraculously. They knew that something had to happen. I mean, I would imagine that Jesus was probably a pretty good swimmer. I mean, Michael Phelps probably has nothing on him. I don't care how many gold medals you've got. If you're racing Jesus in swimming, you're gonna lose every time, I just guarantee it. But Jesus, the scripture tells us that, that he walks on water. Jesus is different than anyone we've ever known, seen. He is what the scripture teaches is God in the flesh. And so he walks across, he gets into the boat with his disciples and they finish crossing over. And so what we see in the scriptures, what we feel here in this moment as they gather there in Capernaum, uh, they can just imagine what's happened and taken place. They want him to be their king, which would appear to be a good place for them, right? Which would appear to be a good place for all of us in this room too. We want Jesus as our king. So what does the crowd do? They engage Jesus in conversation because they wanna figure him out all the more. Uh, they want to know what is he, what's he's about, what, what's he doing, what's his plan. They want to engage him. And besides, he's just done something pretty uh, amazing for them just the day before. And so let's look at the scripture, John 6, 26. Engaging Jesus in conversation, Jesus answers him and says this, truly, truly. And so I just want to push pause for a moment because that's very important. What Jesus is saying is we, we need to get what he's about to say. What he's about to say is packed with truth, packed with meaning. It's very, very important for the people at the time as well as for us today in our world. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate and your fill, you ate your fill of the loaves. And so what we're seeing here is Jesus is starting to expose some things about the crowd. He's starting to expose and, and see through their, uh, their shallowness. See, what we know is that the people are motivated by superficial desires of food rather than a desire for Jesus himself. Just less than 24 hours ago, they had a nice dinner. And so what happens, morning comes around and your stomach starts to growl and you remember of this guy who did an amazing work, an amazing miracle, five loaves of bread, two fish. 
if he's 10,000 people, why would we not be attracted to that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like this is like McDonald's at our fingertips anytime we want it. Anytime we need it, anytime we feel that hunger pain, here we go, boys, let's go after this Jesus. Let's have some more of Jesus. And so Jesus sees that they're motivated by that. There's this superficial desire for what Jesus can do for them rather than for Jesus himself. And so they wanted Jesus for that reason. He could become their miracle worker. He could grant them all that they have ever wanted and desired. Can you imagine the thoughts running through their mind and heart? Yes, he needs to be our king. He's the one. He's the one. And so that's what we see here in the scripture. That's the real issue at hand, the hearts of the people, not the, not the growl in their stomach, but the longing in their heart. And that's what Jesus goes after. That's what he reveals and that's what he presses on. That's what he interacts with the people here about. And so is this not a picture of our world today? Is this not just a beautiful picture, not a beautiful, a horrific picture of our world today? I'm good with Jesus as long as he gives me all that he has never promised. Did you catch that? I'm, I'm good and I love Jesus and I want Jesus as long as he gives me everything that he's never promised. And now we don't say it that way because in our minds and our hearts, we think and we believe that Jesus owes us something, that he should give us what we want, what we desire, what will make us happy. And nowhere in the scriptures do we see that. So, so I wanna make sure, I know I'm from West Virginia and I've got like a weird dialect and when I get amped up and excited, I speak even faster. And so it's even harder to understand. But what I said this morning is this, is that the people struggle is that they want Jesus to give them everything that he's never promised to give them. So in their minds and in their hearts, they have this thought, he's made us some fish sandwiches that tasted pretty good. Imagine what else he can do for us. And is this not the picture of the church in America today? I'll love Jesus, I'll submit to Jesus, I'll follow Jesus as long as he gives me everything that I've ever wanted. As long as he does for me everything that I could ever imagine. And this is a picture that's infiltrated the church even. What we call it is moral therapeutic deism. And what I mean by that is simply this, the, the, the thing that's infiltrated the people here at this time that they battle with is the exact same thing that we battle with thousands of years later. Moral, we're good people, right? We're moral people. We've got a list of do's and don'ts that we try to follow, try to follow, as long as they fit and as long as they're not too radical or too difficult. I'm, I'm, I mean, we're, we're good moral people, so we think. Therapeutic, much like here. I mean, I've got that itch in my stomach. As long as Jesus scratches it or feels it, then I'm fine with it. So as long as, as, as I'll do the, the do's and the don'ts, as long as he makes it about me, makes me feel better about myself, kind of massages my ego, lets me walk away feeling better about me, therapeutic, pat me on the back, we'll make a little bit of him as long as he makes a little bit of me. I'm good with that. And then deism, moral therapeutic deism. But yes, we believe in a God. We'll even say we believe in the one and only true living God. Just as long as he doesn't ask or require too much from me. And when granny gets sick, he heals her. Or when I've got this difficulty in my life, he takes it away. Exact same thing that the people are facing here today that we see in this story. Jesus, you made the sandwiches. Yes, we, why would we not want you? Absolutely, but, but first, can you just do another, it's breakfast time. I like a little Egg McMuffin or something. Pancakes, sausage, yeah. Jewish, we can't do sausage. Uh, pancakes and fruit. Maybe a little yogurt on the side. Uh, th that's where their heart's at, and what does Jesus do? He exposes that. He exposes that. See, what we do is we look to Jesus to be our bailout, to be our Hail Mary in the fourth quarter, to be our genie in a bottle, but he's never promised 
to be that. Church, you don't get your best life now. I don't care what the book says. Your best life does not happen this side of eternity. Or, or, or for our sake, I pray to God that it doesn't. For your sake, I pray to God that it doesn't. You, you, you catching what I'm saying? If you have your best life now this side of eternity, it is gonna be hell for you. And that's not a play on words. That's just reality. That's what Jesus teaches. So we don't have our best life now. Hear me, we'll have some good pleasant days. We'll have some days that we can tolerate and days that are better than others. But hear me, God loves you far too much to spoil you here. He loves and cares for you far too much to spoil you here. And how horrific would that be if he just lets you slide right through life? No difficulties, no struggles, no scrapes, no bumps, no bruises. See, what I've learned is God is working all things in you to get you to that place where you can enjoy, love, cherish, value him above all else. And it'll happen some here, but it fully happens there. That takes place in the forever with him. So verse 27, back to the scriptures. He says, do not work for the food that perishes. That's his response. That's his response to this. Because you ate and you had your fill of loaves, then he goes in, he says, but but don't work for the food that perishes. We'll come back to that word here in just a minute. He says, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And so what Jesus was doing is he was nicely and gently rebuking the crowd for their materialistic notions. That's what he was doing here. He was rebuking them and they don't even really get it. And so I just wanna press for a moment. Jesus is not against you having stuff, but he's against your stuff having you. He's not against you having stuff. He's not against you enjoying stuff in this world. He's against your stuff having you all the time, always, for you worshiping it. That becomes an idol, and God never, ever competes. God's either ultimate or he's nothing. That's the only way. And so he's not against you having stuff. I can, I can remember a few years ago, I sat down at a, uh, at a table with a gentleman, and as I sat down at the table with a gentleman, um, we, we began to talk, and uh, he, he came here uh, for the entire time that he was uh, in town. He, he came to this church, and he worshiped with us, and he uh, grew and matured and um, served here at this church, and so uh, what enticed me was he's a young man um, going into the medical field and uh, had went into college here, and as he's here in his medical school and stuff like that and starts coming, I mean, I want to I get to know the guy. So I go have lunch with him, and as I have lunch with him, begin to converse back and forth. And I said, man, why, why medical field? Why do, you, why do you want to be a doctor? And he looks at me, and he says, because I want to make as much money as I possibly can. I'm like, dang, that's pretty brazen, isn't it? I mean, that's bold. Okay, I can appreciate that. But then what follows that statement just blew me away. He said, because once I start to make as much money as I possibly can, then I can give away as much as I possibly can. And I want to give it away to missions. I want to give it away to the church. I want to give it away uh, to local organizations. I want to honor God. He says, I want to honor God with my financial giving in a way that's going to bless, bless people, let people see who Jesus is. I mean, is, is, that not, is that not the heart to have? But that's not the heart that's present here in the scriptures. No, they want Jesus for what he can. Yeah, Jesus, help me make as much money. Yeah, Jesus, give me this. Yeah, Jesus, I got this hunger in my stomach. Feed me. That's their heart. That's their motive. Not so they can give away, not so that they can serve others. And so what he does is he tells them where they can get the food that endures through eternal life. Uh, you're hungry? Uh, let, let me feed you. And he says this as he finishes out that verse, which the Son of Man will give you, for in him God the Father has set his seal. 
And so what this is, verse 27, is just a reference to what uh, we'll see in verse 35 later. Jesus is saying, it's me. It's me, I'm the one that you eat of. I'm the one that will provide eternal life. So confused, they ask him how they can work to please God. That's what they follow up in verse 28 with. And isn't that funny? Isn't that usually the direction that we always go? I mean, I mean, look, look at what Jesus says. Do not work for the food that perishes. Don't toil and spend all of your time and all of your effort and energy for stuff that, that perishes, for stuff that rusts, for stuff that rots, for stuff that, that, that's gonna be sold in estate sales. Don't invest all you've got into that kind of stuff. Don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures eternal life. But aren't we quick to go there? Aren't we always quick to go there? How, how can we work to please God? That's always our heart and our bent, is it not? We're, we're a work-based society, a work-based culture. We've got to earn it. We've got to work for it. We've got to do, 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 so he'll like me more, so he'll love me more, so he'll be okay with me all the more. And look at what Jesus says in verse 29. This is the work of God. You, you want to work for God? You want to work for something? This is what you work for, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's it. That's it. That, that's the work you do. Believe in him. Believe in him. That's what you do to please God. Believe in Jesus and walk by faith. Now, of course, there's stuff comes with that. There's actions and there's a lifestyle that follows evidences of that. Uh, of course, we do that, but we don't work for our salvation. That's not what this is about. We don't, we don't, we don't do a thing for it. God's already done everything for it. Nothing, and so that's what Jesus says. He says, this is the work of God. You believe in him whom he has sent. That's what you do. You wanna please God? Live by faith. Believe in him. That's how you please God. That's how you honor God. See, what we do is not a work-based thing. It's a faith-based thing. God isn't looking for workers. He's looking for believers. That's what he's looking for. Not workers, but believers. Because what happens is, as you believe, as God starts to change and shape and mold your heart in the image of his beloved son, then of course we're gonna work. Of course we're gonna do. Of course we're gonna give our life away. Of course we're gonna be shaped and molded into the image of the beloved son. And as a result of that, we're gonna act like the son. Because as we're shaped and molded, as we spend time around him, as we uh, love him and walk with him and hear the words that he has said, we can't help but allow that to rub on us. And as it rubs on us, we're going to react to it and we're going to act like it. I'll give you kind of a, an example. Like, like I can go middle school boy in a minute. You know what I'm saying? You, why does everybody, yeah. You get me around some guys and we can be goofy and crazy and we can act... I can, I can go that route in a second, but you get me around some guys that are serious, that are focused, that are seeking after the Lord, that are walking with the Lord, that are intent about Jesus, man, I can go that way too. And so we're influenced, we're shaped, we're molded, and that's what God's calling us to do. Look, look at what he says, Ephesians 2, 8, it'll be on the screen if you don't want to turn there, because we'll go right back to John here in a moment. But, but Paul says it like this, Ephesians 2, 8, he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. So it's grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. You, you didn't have anything to do with it. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And Paul says it so well here to the believers at Ephesus. It's almost as if he just pulls exactly right from what Jesus says. It's about faith and belief in Jesus. 
You've done nothing to earn it. Like, like I love that. Like you and I, we have done nothing, absolutely nothing to earn it. It's not like Jesus was in heaven one day and has this conversation with the Holy Spirit. He's like, okay, Holy Spirit, you see that guy down there? You see that girl down there? We need them on our team. I mean, just look at them, the way that they talk, the way that they do, the way that they just walk, their, their image. Like, look at all of that. Just look at what they're doing. We really need them on our team. No, no, there's, that never happened in heaven. That's never been the conversation. Never. Salvation is unmerited. It's all unmerited. You did nothing to deserve it. You've done nothing to earn it. Church, hear me this morning. You can do nothing to make God love you any more than he already does. And on the flip of that, you can do nothing for him to not desire you anymore. Nothing. Because he loves you so much that he would give his son to die on the cross for you. Let that sink in for a second. It's not by your good works. It's not because you've got nice hair. It's not because you live in this house or because you do that or you drive that car or because you just reek of coolness. None of that stuff matters to him. None of that. It's all unmerited. You've done nothing to earn it. Now back to the conversation with Jesus in verse 30. So they said to him, the crowd, and this is just the heart of people. It just reveals our, our fallenness, our weakness, so they said to him, and, and I just, I, this is just a side note, I'm gonna step over here. I don't know if you trust the Bible or don't trust the Bible or if you uh, are a critic of the Bible and, and that's welcome here. We welcome that in this place because I just I always point to scriptures like this. If you're a critic, I mean, when you read this, I mean, like, if, like there's certain parts of the Bible I kind of just like cringe at. I'm like, oh, you sure you want that in there? Like, I'm, I may have admitted that. But not God, he has nothing to hide, nothing to hide. Look at what he says in verse 30. So they said to him, this is the crowd, then what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Do you catch that? Can we just, can we just kind of call a quick time out here? Just push pause for a moment? I just want to read it again. This is the crowd and they say, hey, Jesus, what sign are you going to do so that we can see and believe you? What work are you going to perform? What are you going to do for us? Perform, monkey. Do something, monkey. Show us. You magician, show us and, and prove it to us all again. I mean, are these people not something else? I mean, I mean are they not something else? Less than 24 hours. What did Jesus just do? Five loaves of bread, two fish. What did he just do? He just fed over 10,000 people. Five loaves of bread, two fish. I got six flatbreads this morning for communion today, and I was a little worried. Will we have enough? Will we not have enough? And I've never taken six and turned them into 12. Now, I may cut it up a little smaller and try to stretch it, but Jesus just took that bread and the fish and fed more people that can fit in this whole church. What else do they need? Not to mention he just walked on the water to get to his disciples to cross over. They knew there wasn't another boat. And he just did all of that, but they're wanting something else. What, what else do they need? What else do they want Jesus to do? But you know what I've learned? You know, in my life, we're not much different, are we? Jesus does something amazing. 
one, we're quick to maybe not give him credit for it. Well, a doctor did it, or this did it, or medicine did it, or well, it was a misdiagnosis, or it was this thing, or th- it could have never happened that way. So we're quick to not give Jesus credit for it. We're, we're the same way. We forget really, really fast all that he's done, all that he's given us, all that he's provided for us. We're, we're not far removed or different, are we? It, we live with this, what have you done for me lately mentality. What can you do for me today mentality? What can you do for me now mentality? And so then they get up into this discussion with Jesus on what Moses did. So they, they, try, to, they, they try to come in the back door and try to trick him a little bit or try to give him um, a difficult, difficult time. They, said, they get into this conversation with Moses, like how he fed the people in the desert while they were wandering. But, but Jesus even corrects him in that. And he says, no, 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 it was God who provided even that food. It was God that did that miracle, not Moses, but it was God. And so then they try to pull a fast one on him. Well, well, then if that's the case, won't you give us this bread always? Which again, all this is doing is, is revealing the heart, revealing the motive. What, Jesus, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? Because what happens when he quits doing for them? We're about to see here shortly, they'll walk away, won't they? Same thing for us. If we believe the lie that Jesus will give us everything that he's never promised, then when he quits not giving it to us, because he never gives us to begin with, our perception is that he has when he quits doing that or our perception goes, then we walk away, do we not? Then we have nothing to do with him. And so that's what we see here. That's what they wanted the same thing that, that, that God provided. And so Jesus comes and he says, man, I've come to give you bread from heaven, but not the kind that you're wanting. So to test him, he begins to make statements that sound very, very strange, very, very difficult, very, very weird. He told them that, that, that he was the true bread from heaven that, that gives life to the world and whoever eats this bread would live forever. And they still didn't comprehend. They still didn't get what Jesus was saying. And so they, they conversed back and forth for a little bit. And then Je- Jesus, is like, it's almost like he was like, finally, I'm done. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell him. And he tells them who he is. And so he kind of starts uh, easy into it. And then he just tells them. So he makes comments like this. I have come down from heaven. Everyone who believes in the son has everlasting life. And then it's like he finally just has enough. He says, you know what? Everyone who believes in me has everlasting life. He's like, I'm the one. I'm the bread you eat. It's me. And then the conversation takes an even weirder turn in verse 51. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So it sounds a lot like cannibalism, doesn't it? Did Jesus just say to eat him? He did. Is that not, Jesus said, what? We're to eat Jesus? Absolutely. And he is a buffet upon which we can feast forever and always. But what Jesus is talking about here is not his physical body. He's talking about his coming sacrifice on the cross. That's what he's talking about. I'm about to die on the cross for the sin of the world. That's what you feast on. And the way you feast on my body is by faith. It's exactly what he's been saying this whole conversation with the crowd. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith. You believe. You want to please God? You believe. You want to be full? You believe in God? That's how you, that's how you get this bread. That's how you eat forever. That's how you never hunger again. See, physical hunger for food is just, is just surface shallow stuff. I mean, there is, a, there is a hunger in the soul that cannot be satisfied by stuff. 
The greatest sandwich you eat, the greatest steak you eat, the greatest house you live in, the greatest car you drive, the greatest whatever. That doesn't satisfy that longing hunger for something more. So his listeners just don't get it. So what does Jesus do? Jesus does what he always does. He presses it even further. That's what I just love about Jesus. He never shies away from conflict or tension. He never just has to wax over, or try to, uh, to, to ease off some of the pressure. He doesn't tone it down, soften it. He doesn't do that. Instead, he makes his teaching all the more harder, all the more intense for them to take by adding this shocking concept. Look at what he says in verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, again, this is very important, get this, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, which is he already claimed to be him, and then drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, it just went from weird to really weird. So we're supposed to eat Jesus and then drink his blood. And if you read it that way, yes, it is really weird. But when you read into it and you understand what Jesus is talking about here, it, it makes perfect sense. What he's saying is we've got this longing and hunger that cannot be satisfied by anything else other than him. And if we would just come and feast, and the way that we feast is by faith. See, in the original language here, these verbs, eat and drink, what it suggests is a one-time appropriation of Christ as salvation. It's a one-time entering into faith, into Jesus Christ, that happens at salvation. That's what he's talking about. That's what he means when he says to eat and drink. Man, you believe, you enter into relationship with me. You put your faith and trust in me. In verse 54, he says this, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last days. That's what he's talking about. It's about faith. I mean, because let's think about it for a moment. If not, this, this, this is damning for us. This is horrific news for us uh, because I've never physically had a bite of Jesus' flesh. I've never physically drank his blood. Uh, where would you even get that? How would they even preserve that over thousands of years? No, 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 that's not what this is. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about coming to faith. That's what he's talking about. See, what he's saying is that the abundant life that we as believers experience is in the present and because it doesn't end at death, it'll be expanded in completeness that lasts forever. That's what he's talking about. This, this isn't even talking about a ritualistic act. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about the table, which we're going to approach here shortly. That's not what this is even talking about there. It's not a ritualistic act. This verse promises that whoever eats gets eternal life and resurrection. And it's only reserved for believers. That's what Jesus is talking about. And the way that we feast is by faith. He's not speaking literally of drinking the fluid from his veins more any more than literally eating the flesh from his bones. Both are just metaphors which refer to necessity in accepting Jesus' sacrificial death. That's what he's talking about. He says this, he says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. What Jesus is saying is that he is the sustenance that provides the very life of God to the believer. He is what provides life to the believer. We feast on him, we eat on him, and, and, and church, the great news is this, we can do that anytime, all the time. You hungry. What I've learned is that many in church are malnourished. You're not just hungry, you're starving, and you don't even realize it. It's like this, we, we've, got, um, we've got a little guy that, that just, loves, that just loves sweets. Like he's just all about a sweet. 
And, and so he, he will, he will want to eat sweets. And so uh, we give in every once in a while because I'm a good dad, right? So we give in every once in a while. Maybe I'm not a good dad. Uh, but we give in every once in a while. And so, okay, buddy, but, but if you eat this ice cream cone, you've got to eat your dinner. Okay, dad, okay. You, you pinky promise? Because there's no promise like a pinky promise, right? And so we do the thing and our like little handshake. Okay, he's in. And so he eats it. And it's usually before mama gets home because like mama's the voice of reasoning. Like mama's like the Holy Spirit, you know? And so it'll be like, like usually before mama gets home and so we, we've, we've done it and after we've done it and like she's cooking and we're fixing and we're doing that and it's about time to eat and we sit down. Oh, I'm not hungry. I'm like, oh, you've sold me out. Because like, you know, you have that good talk. Don't tell your mama. She'll take away all parental rights. She'll get me a babysitter. And so he'll sit there and he won't eat. Why? Because he's not hungry. Why? Because he's had junk food. I say that to say this. Maybe that's us in the church. We've been eating on junk. We've been eating on things of the world. We've been eating on little tidbits of stuff and we haven't really dove into the true food or the true drink that Jesus offers here. What I know is this, is that when you feast on him and you walk away from the table full, oh, you walk away from the table changed. And, and what I've learned is the more that you eat right stuff, the more you develop an appetite for it. The, the more you feast on things that really fill you, the more you long and want things that are gonna fulfill you and sustain you. And what Jesus is saying is like, I'm, I'm the one. There's no sense for us to be malnourished. There's no sense for us to be, to come into this place on a Sunday morning starving to death. Like you get, you don't have to wait on me to eat, right? Like what do you do when you're at home and you're hungry and the wife's not there? Men, we get up and go to the cupboard, don't we? We can make us a sandwich. We can throw some peanut butter and jelly together and grab some chips. And we can eat at least to hold us over till mama gets home, you know what I'm saying? We can do that or we can get in our car and we can go grab something. Why don't we do that when it comes to the word of God? You don't wait till a Sunday or a Wednesday or a time we gather to get, to get full. You'll never make it till dinner time. You'll never be able to sustain that way. You'll be sick constantly. Why? Because you're starving. And God loves you enough to let you hunger, to let you feel that pain. Why? Because it's in the pain we run and we're filled. It's in the hurting. It's in, it's in that time when we, when we feel that pain coming on. We, we run to and we fulfill that need and that needs the word of God. He's the sustainer that provides the very life. That's what he does. Church, he's our greatest need even more than food or drink. He is the greatest need that any and every one of us in this room has today. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, the greatest need in our life is more of Jesus. Not more of junk food, not more of fluff fluff, not more of stuff. The greatest need in our heart and in our life in this moment right now is more of Jesus. And the way that we get that is through his word. That's one of the ways that we grow. That's one of the ways that, that we're full is that we, we walk by faith and we feast on Jesus. And so what we see from the scripture is at this moment, everything changes for this crowd. In this moment, it's very, very heartbreaking because you had the Jesus for king. That campaign evaporates. That goes away very, very quickly as we see the people walk away. Imagine what they're thinking. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Because he would be thinking what well, probably most of us in that day, he wants us to eat him and drink his blood? 
I mean, this guy's lost it. He's crazy. Eat his flesh, drink his blood. And the heartbreaking reality is that they completely misunderstand what Jesus is saying. They completely don't get it. And my fear is that there's so many in our world today that's in the same place. Yeah, Jesus is good, Jesus is king, Jesus is great. As long as he does, you fill in the blank. As long as he gives me, you fill in the blank. As long as he shows up in this way, you fill in the blank. And so my question for us this morning as we start to wind down is what does all this mean? What does all of this mean? For Jesus, eating is believing. Drinking is believing. And what does he promise in these verses? He promises eternal life to those who believe in him. That's what he promises. You will never hunger and thirst again. You, you will never have to ravage for food that's gonna leave you empty and unfulfilled. No, I've, I've got that for you. That's what he promises, eternal life to those who believe in him. So what do they believe? What do we believe? We believe that his death, that's the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood. What it does is pay in full the penalty of our sin. It pays a price that we can never, ever, ever pay. That's what it does. See, his perfect righteousness is freely given to us in exchange for our unrighteousness. I mean, what a deal. Jesus says, I'll give you everything if you just give me me, which me is nothing. Like you get that, right? We are nothing compared to everything that he is offering for us. And so for us in this room this morning, believing is how we eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood. And so when the crowd later on takes offense at this gruesome talk, Jesus exposes their unbelief. And so in John 6, 63 through 64, he says this, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. And I've given you the bread that you can feast on. But you just choose not to believe. You have nothing to do with it. And church, you do wanna know what the good news is? He's saying the exact same thing to us right now in this moment, in this day. I've given you the bread of life. I've given you the cup to drink that will sustain you. All you have to do is believe and walk in it. All you have to do is believe and submit. Believe and follow. Have faith and trust. That's all you have to do. The same invitation that he gave these people this day, he gives to us today. And so this is why we instituted the Lord's Supper. He did not want us to forget the very core of what we believe. That's what we do when we approach the table. Like, you get that, right? This is, this is just an image of what Jesus has done for us. As we approach the table, it's the reality of all that he has done for us by way of the cross, the breaking of his body, the spilling of his blood. So the morning, this morning, we're gonna partake in the elements of the cross. We're gonna come to the table. As man, hand as you guys come back up. And we're gonna partake in communion. This is what separates us from other religions, the two ordinances of the church, baptism and communion. And communion is us doing this very thing. There's nothing special about the bread or the juice. No, it's just symbolic for who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's a reminder. It's a reminder of what he has done. And when we take this, this is a very, very serious thing that we're gonna partake in this morning. It's not something to just be waxed over. It's not just something that, okay, yeah, I'll just come and eat and do my thing because everybody else is doing it. That's what the crowd was doing, church. That's what the crowd was doing. Everybody else was doing it. We just got a hunger. We just need a feeling. We just need, Jesus, do a trick for us again, please. And then we'll believe. 
Would they know they wouldn't believe? Because that trick would either need to be a bigger trick and then a bigger trick and then a, and the tricks never end. So as we come this morning to the table, what we're doing is we're proclaiming in fact that we do believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. That Jesus did what he said he was gonna do. And so we come this morning and we eat of the body and we drink of the blood as a symbol saying we believe in Jesus. So what I wanna do this morning is I wanna read to you what Paul says to the church in Corinth. And I want you to hear the weightiness of his words. He says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, let a person examine himself. And when Paul says that, when he writes that, it's to test, it's to prove. It's to make sure of. To make sure of what? That you belong to Christ. To make sure that you believe in who Jesus Christ is and that you're walking in, in, in fellowship and relationship with him. That's what he's saying. You, you, need to, you need to examine yourself, test and prove. Make sure that you belong to Jesus. Has there been that moment in your life when he's broken your heart over your sin? And he's crushed you just to put you back together in way of the cross, in way of relationship with him. That's what you test. That's what you examine. And then the second thing that you are to examine to test, to prove, is that you're not living in open rebellion to the king. That you're not living in open rebellion to the king. Because here's the reality is it's not one of us deserves or able to come to this table. Not one of us, but it's by the sacrifice of our God, of his son, that makes us anything. That makes us able to even approach. That makes us able to even come and taste of the body and of the blood. And so it's one of those things where we just examine our heart. Is there sin in my life? Is there things in my life that I love more than Jesus? Is there things in my life that I'm pursuing more than Jesus? And what he says is this, examine yourself. Examine yourself. And the way we do that is we just ask God, we just ask God to pull back the curtain and show me. God, is there things in my life that I love more than you? Is there things in my life that I desire more than you? Is there things in my life that I just can't say no to, that I want more than you? graciously shows us and he tells us and what we do is we run before the throne and we ask him to forgive us we ask him to break our heart we ask him to help us to hate the things that he hates the sin and the wickedness in our heart he says once you've done that then so eat the bread and drink of the cup he says for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself it's this thought of condemnation and see, what you're saying is by taking the elements of the cross that you're guilty and you deserve the strictest of punishment, that you deserve the judgment of God. That's what you do. Yes, I believe that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you take this, partake of the table not knowing who Jesus is, as a lost person, if you take up the elements of the cross, yes, he deserves to, to damn me to hell. That's what I do. You're saying yes and proclaiming it by taking it. All the while for the believer, you're proclaiming that he is good and that he is gracious and that he is forgiven and that he has made a way where there's no way. And then Paul says this, he says, that is why many of you are weak, ill, and some of you have died. See, t taking the table in an unworthy manner, it's a very dangerous thing. It is a very dangerous thing to approach the table and partake of the body and the blood. And, and I'm not saying that to try to scare you this morning because again, like I said, not one of us in this room is worthy to partake of it. But God has invited us to come and to eat and to remember, to remember all that he's done. Remember the price that he has paid. Remember what he has done for us. And we do that with a broken heart, with a repentful heart. 
And that's why he says, but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so what we see is that the Lord chastens, that he drives his people back to righteous behavior. And he even sends death to some to keep them from falling away and defaming his name. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but what I want to do is this. Matt and Hannah are going to sing and lead us in a song. And I just want to use it as a time of reflection. I want to use it as a time of examining. I want to use it as a time of just searching your heart, seeing to whom you belong, seeing and asking God to prepare you for this moment when you're about to partake of the table. Jesus, is there something in my life that doesn't reflect you? Is there something in my life that, uh, that I would never say with my lips, but my actions would maybe show otherwise that I love more than you? And so I don't know what God's stirring in your heart. Maybe for the first time this morning and saying, yes, I need him as my savior. I need to eat and feast on the bread that never runs out. Drink of the blood that never runs dry. I need sustenance in my life, something to sustain me. And the only thing that that could ever be is Jesus. So maybe that's you here this morning and God's just drawing you to his side by faith. And so maybe that'll be your response or maybe you just wanna sit in your seat and you just wanna reflect on the things that God has spoken to your heart this morning. And you just wanna search and ask him to reveal maybe things in you that separate, sin that drives away. So I don't know where I mean, the altar's always open. You can come pray here, you can pray in your seat, you can listen to the words of this song whatever God stirs in your heart. But I wanna use this as a time this morning before we enter into this, uh, to partaking of the elements of the table, just as a time to reflect and a time to, to examine. God, help us this morning in this moment. God, lead us, draw us. God, save the lost, convict, convict us in our sin. God, do a work in this place before we come and we partake of the table to celebrate and remember all that you've done and exactly who you are. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. And we pray, amen. You guys lead us, you guys respond as God leads and then we'll come back and partake of the table.